Hello and welcome. Welcome to today today's podcast with me, Stephen Taylor, from what it's called Me Mind, and this is what's on me mind. Is that all these things, all these things that we're gonna talk about here on this very show podcast. So the reason we're doing the accents is because we're gonna do a bit on what what I know being a trained, not even a trained, a trained actor. See what what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna talk about how method acting is such a. Uh, I won't keep that up. But welcome, and that's true. We're gonna talk about method acting, or rather, I'm gonna talk about, it and you guys are gonna listen. Well, you don't have to listen, but you know that's cool too. Um. So yeah, pumping out two a week. Let's um, let's get into it. So it occurred to me, I was on, uh, it didn't occur to me, it rather came up. Uh, I was flicking through uh, IMDb, which is the International Movie Database, which I kind of roam on. That's like my, you know, people Facebook scroll or YouTube scroll and they get stuck in like a, a vortex of um, watching videos and then they recommend you the videos and then you're stuck on the videos and you keep watching the same stuff and the same stuff. I'm like that with IMDb. I follow an actor and then I go, I go into what movies it was in. Then I click on that movie, read about the movie, and then I see another actor that I know and then I follow that one and then I try and find out where they all interconnect and if they've worked together before. And it, it leads you down this um, big rabbit hole of um, kind of kind of movie knowledge, which is cool. I like it, you know. Um, anyway, so, uh, there's a movie that came out in the seventies called one flew over the cuckoo's nest. And I don't know if you've seen this, but it is one of the premium movies of Jack Nicholson. He's in it. He's the star. Um, and it's one, it's one of those movies that just stands up to time so, so, so well. It's about, um, I'll say spoiler, but if you haven't seen One Flew Over the Cuckoo Nest, then, you know, go ahead and go ahead and watch it. But it's about a guy that's trying to get out of prison. So his lawyer gets him locked up or sent rather to a, a mental institution. And the promise is as soon as the doctors deem him fit, he can just go back and he gets to dodge um, going to jail. So, and Jack Nicholson being like the awesome actor he is, he kind of looks insane anyway, you know, in all these movies. And uh, I think that's like the scariest thing about The Shining as well is that Jack Nicholson is so <laughs> crazy looking, you know, like from what you read in the book to what you um, you see um, from him in, in, in the movie there. Yeah, they're very much alike. You know, it's really, really awesome. Uh, anyway, so One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Great movie. Pretty sure he won the Oscar for it. Best actor. Um, actually couldn't tell you who directed it. I should know because, you know, it's generally stuff that I, I kind of know. Anyway, so I'm talking about method acting and, like, the way that method acting is now it's like this crazy extreme like being a method actor i feel back in the day was just like you just delved into the character too much you started to live like that character and started to be you know like it was more more mental and then it looked physical but now like it looks like the whole you go the whole nine yards. Well, I guess, no, I guess like, like it's not changed because I, now I'm thinking about Apocalypse Now and how there's that that scene in, um, spoiler alert, if you haven't seen Apocalypse Now, it's one of the premium Vietnam movies uh, that Francis Ford, I know this one, Francis Ford Coppola directed and uh, Martin Sheen, Marlon Brando, uh, they're all in it. Robert Duvall, Robert Duvall, he made, um, that movie made the whole Ride of the Valkyries thing, a thing. You know, like he would, he would, Robert Duvall and his helicopter squadron would 
fly through Vietnam in their helicopters playing Ride of the Valkyries as like this super intimidating thing to like intimidate the the Viet Cong, um, the Vietnamese. And that's like, you know, one of those iconic scenes that further reflects what we see in today's culture. Whenever you think of like a war scene or you're playing the Xbox and you think it's going to be like this crazy battle, you know, like especially a war game for me, I think of, you know, Ride of the Valkyries and I think, yeah, yeah, this is it. You know, this is the never has classical music had such a triumphant and murderous feel about it ever, you know, and that's what that movie did. It changed the way you see that um, that song because I guarantee you it definitely wasn't, well, I don't guarantee it because it could have been, but I don't think it was meant to be portrayed as a um as a as a a song that you murder um well not murder or you know you go to war with you know they definitely didn't see it getting pumped out of the helicopters by robert duvall in a movie for sure um but anyway i'm thinking about martin sheen um and his method acting when he um there's like the scene he's in like a Hanoi um, hotel suite and he's, he's, you know, he's like doing like the karate moves in the mirror and then he like punches the mirror and he's rolling around the ground and he's crying and he's like getting real mad. He's throwing stuff around the room and he's like pretending to be drunk. Not beknownst to the audience, he is drunk. (laughs) He is wasted. He is like white girl wasted on a Saturday night with $3 drinks. Like he is hammered. And all that, that whole scene is like you see Martin Sheen like unraveling. I mean, I'm sure he played on it to a certain degree to look a lot more fragile and a lot more damaged than he um, than he was. But still like... You know, they say when you're drunk, you only say what's on your mind and you always do what's at the forefront of your mind. It's like when you're drinking, you lose the inability to think things through and to, you know, really have fully control of your body because your brain says do something and you just end up doing it. You know, that's how I've ended up doing some stupid things. And I'm sure a lot of people have ended up doing stupid things that way. But um, oh, I guess like I'm just convincing myself that method acting hasn't changed now because well when did that come out 1973 i think maybe 74 i think it was the i think it was a couple of years before or after um the godfathers the godfather sorry uh yeah i think so um anyway so i i I was looking at one floor of the cuckoo's nest and I was looking at the, you know, the method acting in it. And there's just so many actors that are so methodical in their art that you really got to respect it. You got to respect what they do for these roles. I mean, like Christian Bale, I think I've spoken about it before, but Christian Bale is such a big example of being a method actor is like um, in that American hustle movie he was in, he like stacked on all that weight and then for The Machinist and Rescue Dawn, he was like super, super skinny. And then for the Batman movies, he was like, you know, buff. You know, he looked like what you think Batman would look like. And then, you know, he just keeps having his crazy weight fluctuate. It can't be good. I'm sure it's not good for anyone. But, um, and, and you know, he really, and he did the fighter, the, the Dickie Roberts. No, not Dickie Roberts, um, Dickie someone. But he was the fighter. He was Mark Wahlberg's brother in that. And um, you really see, like, man, that guy needs to get paid what he gets paid. To do that, to for me to do that to my body would be, um, you'd have to pay me a lot of money. You know, I'm not going to do that over a weekend or, like, do that because I want to. You know, that's, like... I mean, obviously he loves his craft because he keeps doing it, you know, so he's got to love it to some extent. But there's guys that like, they take the method acting to like the more extreme than Christian Bales and the Martin Sheens and the Matthew McConaughey's. Remember Matthew McConaughey dropped all that weight for Dallas Buyers Club? 
I'm not like a really big Matthew McConaughey fan, like because he did all those rom coms and um, what, what was the high school movies in his school days, you know, or whatever it was. Um, I'm not like a massive Matthew McConaughey fan, but watching Dallas Buyers Club was really good. He was so good, you know. He deserved uh, that Oscar. He really did. He's he's a thermomomal. Thermomomal, thermomomal, thermomomal. He's a thermomomal actor. Honestly, that guy really, really outplays it. You know, he, he, whatever you think, like whatever you think you know about. <laughs> I don't know. I guess like method acting, like he really pushes it and does really, really well. Um, but yeah, you know, he does. Uh, um, he does it. He does it really, really well. Anyway, I digress. Um, but guys that like take it really, really, really too far is guys like Nick Cage. Now, personally, I'm a big Nicholas Cage fan. You know, generally, whatever's he he's in, I can generally hang around and watch. But there's been a couple that. I don't know. They kind of, it's like he keeps playing himself and people keep paying him to do it. <laughs> it's really, really weird because you don't know if he's just being like crazy. Actually, here's a tidbit. He's um, uh, Francis Ford Capella's uh, nephew. You know, that's like, I think that's more of a common thing that people know now, but maybe not. But there you go. That's a bit of um, a bit of, bit of knowledge about Nick Cage and Francis Ford Coppola. Actually, here's like a little story that may or may not be true, but this is probably like maybe the reason why Nicolas Cage is so uh, messed up is that he um, used to stay at Francis Ford Coppola's house. I guess he was just Uncle Franny. <laughs> I guess, I don't know. I don't know what you would call um, uh, a... Does it, does it, do they lose their value when they like when family speak to him, like, do they not, does it not become like, is she not Queen Elizabeth to, um, Charles or does Charles just call him mum? You know what I mean? Like, does it, does it change? Would it be the same for like someone with such prestige as Francis Ford Capella? Would it, would it be just like, oh, hello, Francis Ford Capella. I'm your, I'm your nephew, Nick Cage, you know? Anyway, um, he's, he's staying there as a kid and he's sleeping in the attic and he's, you know, he's laying there, he's asleep and then he wakes up and there he, this is his, his words. I don't know how true or false it is, but he sees this aura of a ghost that he reckons he's seen and he never stayed there again, you know, cause he's seen this ghost. So that could have been why like Nick Cage looks so like, fiery i guess and um borderline crazy and like he like overacts so much that it's like you look past it because it's like it's he's like overacting so much into these roles that it doesn't feel like overacting it's just like oh that's just how nick cage acts you know like the um oh what's that crazy movie he's in with the bees the wicker man and he's like the bees no no not the bees they're in my eyes and it sounds like that it's like it's <laughs> it's really really whiny and that's that's exactly how it is on screen if you watch that scene like youtube the wicker man bees and it's nick cage with like a thing over his head and there's like cgi bees <laughs> going into this masking and it's like no the bees Oh, they're in my eyes. Ah, and it's dead sad. The um, it's it's not it's not the greatest bit of acting he's ever done. I mean, the guy's won an Oscar. I mean, he won that he won the Oscar for um, um, leaving Las Vegas with Elizabeth Shue as like his um co-star. She got nominated. I'm pretty sure. Uh, if memory serves, but um, he. He does this. He he did really great in that, and that's when he was younger. That was in like ninety three, maybe ninety four. I don't know. It was in the nineties, so. 
and um, he does a great job. You know, he plays, but that's another thing. He's like playing this character that is already essentially him to a certain degree because he's like this um, movie to produce to pr- produce <laughs> movie producer that has this meltdown and then decides to sell everything and then go drink himself to death in uh, Las Vegas, which, you know, look, he succeeds and it's a damn good movie. I mean, I never thought I would enjoy seeing someone drink themselves to death, but Nicolas Cage really made it so you couldn't look away, you know, like you got to commend him for that. And, you know, I, I'm sure it was only like a small set and, you know, you're only paying for, I guess, Nick Cage and Elizabeth Shue and a couple other, you know, things like paying to be in a hotel room because it's just all in a hotel room and like one casino, you know, that's all all the scenes take place, you know, there's not much else going on in the whole movie and it's set in like bright Las Vegas, you know, so it's, um, it's interesting to be, a movie about Mike Figgis, I'm pretty sure, directed that. Um, he, you know, it's it's done in such a way that, you know, you hear Las Vegas in a movie and you think, oh, it's just going to be, a, you know, in like a big hotel and there's casinos and stuff, but there's very little of it. Like for the majority of the movie, it's um, him outside of Las Vegas, you know, sitting in this, um, si- sitting in this, in this um, hotel room, just drinking. There's this great scene in it where he's like literally going into the bottle shop or the grocery store, whatever they have in America, and he's just grabbing alcohol and alcohol and alcohol and and everything. He's like just grabbing like absinthe and uh, vodka or bourbon and gin, like everything, port, wine, white, red, sparkling, You know, he is grabbing all the booze. Like, he is on a mission to um, really, really take himself. Excuse me, take himself down. I'm just going to have a sip of my coffee. Now, I digress, but this is what happens when um, you get a little bit more season, your coffee starts to happen a bit later in the day so you can um, stay up and, and do things. You know, so, um, Hey, look, that's, that's Nick Cage and like, love him or hate him, but he's, he's still, and he does like some average movies, but some, there's some pearls in there too. Like drive angry. That's rubbish. But like his acting in it is pretty good. There's another one, um, called matchstick men, like hot, like not very good. It's not a great movie. It's got a twist in that, but it's, you, you, it's one of those twists that you see happening and you're just kind of waiting for them to to do it. It's a good twist if you haven't seen a con man movie in the last <laughs> 30, 40 years. If you've never seen a con artist movie and you've never watched an Ocean's Eleven or any of those kind of heist caper movies where there's funky twists, then you'll see this one coming pretty early. But he's like, he's really good in that, Matchstick Man. And um, there's another one. There's actually like a really good pearl of a movie, um, not with Nick Cage in it, but it's called uh, Numb with Matthew Perry, you know, Chandler from um, Friends. And it's actually a really, really good movie. It's about, it's called Numb. It's by some rinky-dink little indie um, production company called Eagle Entertainment. I think they did like, I, I'm pretty sure they produce like Uri Bowl films. Like the films that come out of there aren't that good. Um, if you remember, I spoke about Uri Bowl winning a couple of Razzies for worst director and worst film. If you don't know what a Razzie is, Google a Razzie and then Google Uri Bowl because he's shocking. Um, yeah, a couple of pearls, a couple of pearls. Everyone, you know, everyone gets their day in court. You know, everyone, everybody comes up with a couple of pearls. I mean, I'm, I'm sitting around here, you know, sitting in my house with, um, no movie credits to my name. So, you know, look, any effort is good effort in my opinion. I know, I mean, no disrespect, but it's just fun to talk about. Um, anyway, this movie called Numb is about Matthew Matthew Perry's character. I can't remember the name of the character, but he's like a um, uh, an advertising sales 
pitcher guy. He just pitches ideas to um, say, I think Kevin Pollock's in it too, eh? I feel like Kevin Pollock's in it. He's really cool. He's he's really good in Usual Suspects. Evidence in Usual Suspects. Usual Suspects. Usual Suspects. Kevin Pollock is really good in that. Um, yeah, he's... Um, who plays this character who's got this thing called dis, dispersonalization um, disorder where he actually, he knows he's there and he's self-aware that he exists, but he can't physically feel anything. And the only way he can feel things is by like getting, it's like a really, really indie version of Crank. Do you remember Crank with Jason Statham? It's like a really, really niche indie version of that where it's not a lot of action and it's just him shoplifting and uh, watching um, the really heart racing parts of pornography. You know, that's how the only way he can feel things. And then, you know, he meets a girl and she's just as loopy and then they ended up, they end up, you know, finding each other and finding and finding love in that, and end up feeling each other. He feels a lot more uh, human, but it's an interesting thing um, that kind of um, those kind of movies just got kind of swept under the rug because they're just not that interesting. You know, they've got really good actors in them, but um, they're just not as in- in- interesting to like people, I guess. Like I was watching, um, I've got a lot of DVDs right? I've got a lot of DVDs. I've got about 500 DVDs, I reckon. And they're all of like, it's like, it's 60, 40 quality and 40 is, you know, you know, a lot of superhero movies and like real campy kind of indie stuff that like no one ever watches. But I was watching a, um, I was watching a movie on the DVD player and this is how before streaming services were available, they actually, you actually had to buy DVDs and I know you can still buy them today, but you know, if you don't know, now you know, and you put the DVDs in the player and it would, it would just play and it would play a series of trailers of upcoming movies or movies that are coming out in cinema or on DVD, right? So you would get like a couple of trailers. It was like, it was simulating the theater experience at home. So, you know, you could go to the cinema and watch the trailers, watch the ads or whatever. And, you know, that's the, the, the don't pirate DVDs stuff. You know, that's always cool. But um, I'm watching, you know, whatever movie I was watching and like this trailer comes up for this movie and it's got Greg Kinnear in it. And he's a re- he's a cool actor and he's a good actor. Excuse me. And um, it starts playing and it's like 1960s America. It's when there was... No one else had had this idea. One man thought outside the box to fit this on a car. And it's like this forward and it's like driving through the rain and, and you know, everyone's like, oh, I just can't see in the rain. Oh, there's got to be a way that we can drive at night and still and be able to have a clear windscreen. And like Greg Kinnear's in like his garage and he's working tirelessly. He looks like a mad scientist and he's like screwing these things in. And then like it cuts to it. It's like this like two by four bit of wood with this metal arm on it with like a bit of <laughs> a bit of like a, a squeegee end on it. And it like goes. <laughs> and it's like one man dared to dream to clear all the rain off of windscreens in America. And then he like takes the idea to Ford and he's like, so you guys going to pay me for, for my idea? And you know, Ford are like, Oh yeah, for sure. And they just copy his idea and he's walking to, he's walking down the street in the rain. And in this showroom is like this brand new Ford with like a window wiper. And he's like, those, Oh, those dastardly people's are, Ford, they've taken my idea. And he takes it all the way to the Supreme Court. It's literally a movie about something that we all take for granted, which is the windscreen wiper, but don't necessarily care enough to know about, enough about for it to warrant an origin story. You know what I mean? Like make a make a movie about, uh, 
you know, the light bulb, <laughs> you know, I'm sure that's been done, but you know, that's a little bit more interesting than, um, a, a window wiper and Greg Kinnear's like, Oh, I'm going to lose my house. I'm going to lose my kids. If I don't get this settlement in court and Ford are like, we're not paying you, you know, we just changed your design. You basically sold us the design and, and we stole it. And he's like, you, you, oh, you, you see me in court. And he takes it all the way. He takes it to the Supreme Court. I can't remember if he wins because that was only the trailer. This is all I got from the trailer. And I remember thinking, what movie was Greg Kinney promised or was he doing where he had to accept to do that movie? Because I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm sure that he wasn't breaking down doors to star in a movie about the world, the, you know, uh, America's or the world's first windshield wiper on a car. I guarantee you, I'm pretty sure there's another like famous actor in it too, eh? you know, who plays like the, the boss of Ford or whatever, but, um, no, oh, crazy, crazy time when there was like all these crazy trailers and the, this summer, imagine now this summer, Greg Kinnear is, the windshield wiper and they give it like you know a cool name like um or really like the innovation the innovator and all he did was like wipe the <laughs> wipe the water out of your windscreen you know so yeah that's uh that's that's basically what i did with this with this movie i um i packed it in too i turned on netflix and um that was about it for me watching the trailers of um movies of old you know I, I really like i like a good trailer and i like it when the trailer i don't like teaser trailers i like normal trailers i don't like a teaser trailer where it just shows like the rock and like the world's on fire and you know he just does like his rock eyebrow and then it goes this summer dwayne the rock johnson is a tree bandit <laughs> or something like that, you know, like um, you want, you want something where you see it and you're like, shout out the rock as well. You're actually like a, a really big role model. And, you know, if we can all live like the rock does and do what the rock does, and I'm pretty sure we'll be a better place. Um, I'm not bagging on it. It's just like some of the movies you choose are a little bit frustrating with the trailers. All right. And hang on just quickly. Why did you sequel Jumanji? <laughs> Why did we make Jumanji? And then and then you did... Why did we do Jumanji with Robin Williams? Which is a, a great movie, a good kids, kids movie. Kirsten Dunst is the little girl in that. If you didn't know, now you know. Um, which is a great movie. And then... And then you, you, you sequel it. So... What, like I was saying, you, you, you make, we've made the Jumanji with Robin Williams, and now we're going to make Jumanji, Welcome to the Jungle. And I just, look, I just want to remind you that you've already made a movie called Welcome to the Jungle with Sean Williams, Scott, and Christopher Walken. I mean, I'm, I think in the States it was called Rundown, but in a Asia and Oceania and maybe Europe, it was called Welcome to the Jungle. So we're all a little confused that you've, you've given the same slogan to another movie. And I'm pretty sure the title song in Welcome to the Jungle is Welcome to the Jungle by Guns N' Roses. And then the Jumanji Welcome to the Jungle, I'm pretty sure the song in that is Welcome to the Jungle. So you're welcoming everybody to the jungle. I don't know if that's like a, a, a Samoan thing, you know, like I don't, I don't get it. I don't get why you're trying to welcome everybody to the jungle. The Rock, and then you and then you like you've made a trilogy where there didn't need to be a trilogy. You know what I mean? Like, there's enough independent thought and ideas that you don't need to like sequel and trilogy something that didn't even like have the prospects or no one even wanted to like sequel. It'd be like right now if Sylvester Stallone and Kurt Russell sequeled Tango and Cash, but it starred. Um, Taylor Kitsch and Aaron Johnson. <laughs> and it was called Rango and Stash. But it was a... No, it was still called... No, that's ridiculous. It's still called Tango and Cash. 
um, Tango and Cash Savages when like Taylor Kitsch has already been in an Oliver Stone movie called Savages. You know what I mean? No, well, that kind of doesn't make sense. But, uh, you know, look. Look, we all love you, The Rock. But that that really got me. That got me. It still gets me that you'd... I won't go in. I won't say it again. But it just... It really, really irked me. And I don't know if it's the same, like, production company that did it. That did the first Welcome to the Jungle. Which is a good movie! I don't know why you want, it's like you want people to forget about it. You know, like you want people to like not remember like sh- you you starred in a movie next to Sean William Scott and Christopher Walken. And instead you want people to remember that you did a movie with Jack Black, Karen Gallian, Gilliam and um, who's, you know, your cousin. What's his name? Kevin Hart, you know? Kevin Hart. Yeah, no, 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 you know, no issue with The Rock. But I think The Rock plays um, this the same character. I mean, it's actually quite good to see um, someone like The Rock who's, like, definitely not your stock standard um, ethnicity. You know, like, the, like Jason Momoa is another, like, kind of um, Islander-looking person that, like, comes to mind. There's like a uh, a Kiwi actor called Timura Morrison. He was in like the Aquaman. It's like the dad. He's like a really good. He was Boba Fett as well. Or is it Boba Fett or Django Fett? Boba Fett. Anyway. Um, And, you know, they're like, they're the only three Islander people I can can think of in like modern cinema, which is great. You know, that's a great thing for, um, so I'm like happy. Excuse me, I'm happy in a way that he is getting all these roles, but just like do like a cool indie movie like you did with um, Southland Tales. Remember that? Remember when Dwayne the Rock Johnson did Southland Tales? Remember that weird that weird director who did Donnie Darko? Remember he did Southland Tales where the movie was just as weird? I'm pretty sure in one stage of that movie, there's a car having intercourse with another car and it's like a computer it's like a you know computer generated image of two cars um having having intercourse which is um i I don't know maybe a waste of like a um an animation because i was listening to something the other day or a couple of weeks ago and um to do like the animations of some of these things, like a lot of animators have to write like a specific um, program to like make, like say water, like they have to write a, a specific program to program water to look that way. And then once they've used it for that film, they can't, they can't really use it again. So they like sell it to other production companies to like, you know, you can buy, you know, a program that's already written out. You don't have to reprogram something or program something to like make water look like water. You can just have this program and then there you go. That's, um, that's, this is how you make water and this is how it looks on screen. So you can just have that. I think, um, you know, their, their example on it was, um, like a lot of, uh like disney disney pixar movies like um like finding nemo i guess like going on water that's like you know they wrote this this program to show how water is going to look animated and you know they did a crazy good job like i would still watch finding nemo and finding dory because it's you know the animation is just so cool it's so good Uh, i remember here's the story about my auntie I remember my auntie and I, because I was so excited for a, uh, I was maybe uh, 13 or 14, I think, when Finding Nemo came out. And I was super excited for Finding Nemo. For a 13, 14, for a 13 or 14 year old, um, I was super excited. You know, we looked like the biggest losers at um, our local cinema. It's like my auntie with a like hand-stitched 
um, hand-stitched beanie and sweater vest and like trackies and New Balance sneakers and like a thermos of coffee. And then I had on like some beanie visor and like a, <laughs> an independent hoodie and some like skate jeans and like circus shoes on. I looked like this. I looked like a skater that was about to turn pro, but just thought of doing anything else <laughs> with his life instead of being a pro skater. I'm like a pro. I looked like a pro skater that just would never make it. I looked like, you know, someone from like a, like a really, 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 really low budget indie skate film where all they did was like an Ollie and it was just down like one set of stairs or they did like a, you know, they did like a, a 50, 50 grind on a rail that was like lined up with the edge. So they didn't have to Ollie onto it. If you don't know what an Ollie is, it's a jump on a skateboard. So I looked like this really, really lazy skater. And you know, I was ha quite happy to be perceived that way because I did enjoy skating when I was younger. It was partly my um, brother's influence. Um, but you know, God love her. She came came with me to watch this movie that I was so excited for because I was so excited to see like this animation. And um, we watched it and there's like the first scene where, you know, they're all happy family. They're talking about the eggs and the, um, the, the barracuda or barramundi or whatever the fish is, like it all goes quiet. And, you know, the, the fish is looking at the other fish and, you know, oh, don't go for the other fish. And then, you know, like the, the, the fish strikes and it's like this, you know, really loud noise. And I was like, oh, wow, this looks like so good, like visually stunning. And then I just hear this. <laughs> it's my honey. And this is the first thing. My honey's asleep. <laughs> and, the, you know, the whole cinema is quiet except for my honey snoring. And, you know, I lived in, I didn't live in fear, but I was definitely like fearful that if I woke her, she would just be in all types of hysterics. So, you know, I just sat really, really low in my chair and pretended not to be with her <laughs> for the next 90 minutes. <laughs> so um, that was, you know, when I seen Finding Nemo, which is, um, hey, it's a good movie. Great movie, really well animated. But anyway, what I was saying is that, like, um, the animators would have written a specific program to animate that water and then not had a use for it. You know what I mean? Until they did Fighting Dory, I guess, because they didn't make another water movie. Excuse me. They didn't make another water movie to my knowledge, so they um, they did that. Um, <laughs> sorry, I'm just, I'm laughing about my auntie falling asleep in a, in a I'm like realizing now how, um, how much she just probably didn't want to do the things I wanted to do, you know? I was such, I'll go a bit about like skating, right? I was such a bad skater. I thought I was like really, really good. I honestly did think I was a pretty good skater, but I really wasn't. I remember when we went to Sydney one time to watch like a, um, it was like a, a skate demonstration at the, at the, at a skate park in, in Sydney. And we all went along and we we're like, oh man, this is going to be sick. You know, we're going to like, we're going to see like skaters doing their stuff for real, you know, like it's going to be awesome. We like got up there and we're all hanging out and, you know, having like a cool time. And then, you know, once the skate demo was over, it was like, oh yeah, let's, um, let's skate. And I remember for, and we did that for like two days, right? So we were there skating from um the the demo was at like say two o'clock and then went till like four and we watched that and then we it was daylight savings down here so it was um like the sun didn't go down to like 7 38 o'clock so we just stayed there and like skated around in that and the only thing i skated on or around was like a bit of flat land and then got really scared because there was all these like professional skaters like skating around. I didn't want to get in their way. So I literally stood there with my skateboard like against my leg trying to look cool for um, 
10 hours total so five hours each day i reckon <laughs> and it was um it was about then when i realized i would never be good at skating and i just didn't have enough like gusto i didn't have enough um trying to feed off fear you know what i mean like i couldn't i couldn't motivate myself to go down like this little ramp and um you know i, I was living in too much fear of like hurting myself you know so um so I didn't, I stood there for 10 hours looking like an absolute dweeb and it was like summer as well. And I had this beanie visor on. It was like really, really not cool. It was not a fun time. You know, I pretended like it was a cool time and a fun time, but really it was not for me. You know, it was really, really, really sucky. <laughs> but look, that that's, you know, that's trials and tribulations being a um, amateur skater is that, you know, sometimes you just got to look good. <laughs> sometimes looking the part, you can easily just be the part. That's my philosophy. As long as it looks like a pig, it'll taste like a pig. You know, if it looks like a skater. You don't need to tell them to do a kickflip, do you? Well, you probably do. There's that video actually of like Tony Hawk going around, like telling people to do a kickflip and they do a kickflip swarm. And he's like, oh, well, that's Tony Hawk. And he's like, yeah, man, Tony Hawk. Um, that's a cool role, role model. I mean, we're not talking about role models, but, it, you know, I didn't pick Tony Hawk to be the role model, even though he was like the flagship name for like all skating games and um, whatever you know about skating you know like tony hewick <laughs> you know about tony hewick you know um but i i really liked that that uh bam margera 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 i really liked bam and um all, all us uh all our friends did as well we all watched the cky videos and like a little bit of the dudesons and all that kind of um jackass era of like stuff because that was like that was like the content that would that was like the indie niche conflict con content that was coming out when i was younger was like all this stuff about hurting yourself and like when i was 14 and couldn't even go down a skate ramp and then i was like 15 16 throwing myself into things it was amazing how quickly that fear disappeared you know we used to, you know me and my friends we used to do uh, some wild stuff um, you know, we, we all did some pretty stupid things. Like I remember jumping out of a building and breaking my foot in a couple of places, which is pretty, it was right at the start of summer holidays and summer holidays in Australia is six weeks. So I was six weeks out of the game, eh? Two months. I'd, I was not walking properly for two months, eh? Like it was, oh, it was horrid. And, um, yeah, so, you know, we've all done stupid stuff. I think one of our friends took some, like, darts to the butt at one stage, you know. So, um, but, you know, look, it is what it is. Um, we all learned our, our, our lesson from it and we grew into be, you know, quite nice people now. Excuse me, I'm just going to sip my coffee. It's hard to actually, like, tell. Because, like, generally when I'm working, I don't have a coffee this late. So you probably can't tell. You probably think, oh, he's probably just having a whiskey. Well, I'm not having a whiskey because I don't have any whiskey. I'm having a coffee. Um, I don't have a, uh, I don't have any whiskey to Irish up my coffee, right? It's just a straight coffee. But, um, yeah. So so when I'm, I'll tell you the story, like, I broke my foot. I jumped out of this building. That's not the important part. I jumped out of the building. That was silly. I uh, broke my foot. Couldn't walk on my foot, really. And, um so I, I, I called my brother and I said, oh, can you, can you pick me up? Like I'm, I've, I've hurt my foot really bad. And he was like, nah, <laughs> I can't remember what he said, but he was like, nah, I'm not picking you up. Hey, I'm not doing it. And then I was like, oh, I've got to call my auntie. Oh gosh, this is going to suck. You know, like we had mobile phones back then, but you know, it's not like having, not having credit was like, a pretty common thing <laughs> you just like blew it all on like polyphonic ringtones and like sick wallpapers and stuff you know like are you texting your friends or you trying to call your friends or you like making prank calls 
It was actually like me and my cousin had this cool idea about prank calls. It was like instead of pranking someone and like putting on a voice like, hello, you're speaking to uh, Pradeep. I'm here from from Terstead telling you you've got no money in your account. You know, like we didn't do that. Well, we did it anyway. We still did that. But we had this cool idea of like you would ring someone from one phone and then you would ring someone from another phone and you would put the phones together. So these two people were like talking to each other and they both didn't call each other. (laughs) And and it was the funniest thing because, well, I don't know, it's just hilarious. You know, you would just have like say a girl and a boy on the other line and then, you know, you put them together and they go, hello? And they go, hello? They go, who's this? Who's this? Why'd you call me? Why'd you call me? And they get in this big dust up. And really, it's just two phones connected together. Oh, it was comedy gold, eh? Like, it was the funniest thing. It, um, I might do that. You know, when I've got a bit of downtime this afternoon after I get my son. So I might just do that with him. We might just call some people on the iPad and my phone and stick them together and see what happens. That'd be pretty funny. Watch that space. Um, but yeah, so like, I've, I've broken my foot. I've called my brother. He said, nah, no go. Um, I didn't have any credit. So... Um, where I broke my foot was about maybe eight or nine kilometers from my house. So I walked, I walked with this broken foot and I went to this convenience store and there was this girl there and, um, she would have been younger than I was at the time. And I was like, look, I'm really sorry, but I've hurt my foot and, um, uh, I, I need to get home. Can, I don't have any money, but can I have some ice? And she was like, oh, yeah, yeah, for sure. No worries. And gave me like some ice. And I like, and it's a summer as well. So I've like put this like tea towel thing and like wrapped it against my foot and just like done like this really, really dodgy looking cold compress <laughs> on my foot. And then I proceeded to just hobble home and walk home and then I got home and I just went straight to bed. As you imagine, I've just walked, you know, eight or nine kilometers with a broken foot hobbling through the street and, you know, your brother's just re- not refused, but like obviously thought it wasn't that important. And then uh, I got home, I just jumped straight in bed, put my foot up and then just like put some music on and just chilled out. And then my auntie came in and she was like, what's this? And I was like, oh, I've just, just hurt my foot. And she was like, heard it. It looks horrible. <laughs> it, it's, it's like purple. It looks really, really bad. What did you do? And I was like, oh, I just fell over, like playing, you know. And um, I was, you know, we're just hanging out after school. And then I like fell over and just hurt my leg, you know. And um, she was like, oh, God, like shook her head and just walked out basically. And then the next day, my um, brother and Nani like came in, you know, separate times. And like my brother was like, "That's that looks really, really bad. Like, what did you do? And I was like, oh, look, I jumped out of this building and landed on my foot funny, eh? And it's like really, really sore. And he was like, oh, you're an idiot. <laughs> you're, you're like reap what you sow, basically. You know, you're like, you fool. Why would you jump out of a building for one? And then I'll give you some perspective. The building was only maybe one and a half stories. And to make it like even like better, there was like, to make it worse, actually, it wasn't anyone's idea. It was my idea to jump out of this window and do like a sick commando roll like they do in the movies. Like you jump out of the window and then you do a sick roll and it's like, yeah, what? You know, like some parkour stuff. But I didn't do that. I jumped out of the window basically sideways. I sidestepped. And then there was this fence that I didn't account for. So I tried to tuck my feet up, jumping out of the window. And then I like fell on my foot. I was maybe like 85, 90 kilos back then. And then I fell on my foot and then just crushed my foot basically and yelled out this massive yelp of pain. And um, so before you think, oh, peer pressured into jumping out of a window, it wasn't. I jumped out of a window because I'm an idiot. <laughs> My brother was like, oh, mate, that looks really, really bad, eh? Like, I'm pretty sure you need to go to hospital. And I was like, well, can you take me? Like, I really don't want my auntie. I don't want our auntie to take me to the hospital because then she'll just get out of me how how I did it. 
He was like, yeah, but she's going to have to like, no. And so we, you know, both agreed. And uh, my brother was like, oh, I'm going to just take Stefan up to the hospital to get his foot looked at. And she was like, no, I'll take him. I'm going. And for the next, the hospital wasn't even that far away, but for the next hour, it felt like I just got berated (laughs) by my auntie about how dumb I am and how silly it is and the ramifications of how she would have to stay home for certain times of the day because (laughs) she had to look after me to make sure I was eating because I couldn't go anywhere. Like I had crutches and all, but I really couldn't go anywhere. I just stayed home and played the Xbox basically, yeah, you know, like and tried to like play guitar really, really badly. I was all right back then. I was okay. And so she just brames, oh, you idiot this, you idiot that. You're so stupid. What are you doing? You're like messing it all up. Like this is like this year and next year is all about how you're meant to be growing as an adult and you're just getting dumber. You're just you're acting like an idiot. Like, how do you think this affects me and all this stuff? And I was like, oh, this is just way too much. <laughs> this is just too much, you know? Like, I just I just can't just get me to the hospital. And she was like, how'd you even do it? How do you do it? This is after, sorry, this, this is, um. so she's berated me. We got in their emergency room. We're all just quiet because no one wants to have a fight in the emergency room. And then the doctor looks at it and he's like, oh, you got fractures in four places in your foot. And like Marnie was like, uh, you know, didn't even want to know what English was. So she was like, whatever, just cast him up. I'm not paying for a cast. Just do whatever, what, whatever the cheapest solution is to like make his foot better. And the cheapest solution was basically put like a bit of plaster on the bottom and then bandage it really tight and then just look after it. Cause it's not too much you can do with a broken foot. So, you know, it's not much you can do. And, um, she was like, that's bad. Like you've broken it in four places. Like what, what, how, how do you even, how, you're not that heavy to fall down and break four places. And I was like, I jumped out of a window. And she was like, you idiot, you idiot. You, you know how dumb that sounds. You sound like an idiot. Like, who are you? You're not some rogue action. She didn't say this, but this is, you know, this is what she was thinking. You got to remember all this is in broken English. So it's basically just a lot of F bombs and S bombs and like idiots, you know? Um, she, I, I won't tell you what she used to call us because, you know, it's a little bit derogative towards um, a certain um, demographic of people that, that I'm all right with, but she's like, you know, just closed minded. So anyway, I love my auntie. I honestly do like (laughs) the the stuff she had to put up with from um, me and my brother is, um, you know, she's a stronger, she's the strongest person I know for sure. Uh, Anyway, so that's how I broke my foot and how she just berated me. It made me feel like an idiot all the time for it, which is rightfully so, you know, like, um, that's probably um, what you would do anyway, really. is just like make them feel really dumb for it and they won't do it again. You know, unbeknownst to her, I broke my arm that year as well. So, you know, doing dumb things. But, you know, she was all right with that one. That one happened at school at least. So it was like a little bit more um, passable as like an accident. I didn't tell her how it really happened, but it did happen at school, you know. Um, yeah. Anyway, what was I talking about? Talking about Finding Nemo, wasn't I? That was a bit of a tangent, you know? Talking about role models. Tony Hillick. Talking about role models. I wanted to actually say, um, I know it's a bit late, but did anyone see, I'm talking about people like they're already here, you know? But um, did you see um, Sean Connery passed in the last two weeks? And rest in power, Sean Connery, because he... He's like a Bond's Bond, you know, like um, my wife and I recently watched like all the, not all of them, we're up to the Timothy Dalton, James Bonds. We just kind of hit a bit of a um, a kind of hump there. So we're trying to, trying to eventually see it. Um, but we watched all the um, like Sean Connery ones and the Roger Moore ones and um, the George Lazenby one, which um, 
ah, the you know the George Logan ones are not bad, but like Sean Connery playing that role, he's just got so much like well he did I guess like he just had so much swagger, you know like he had like he was like old man swagger eh like he was probably in his forties when he did the or at least his late thirties when he did um the first James Bond and he just like uh it was just phenomenal to watch on screen and then when he did untouchables when he got the oscar for that that was like a really notable performance as well and then he like out of nowhere like did entrapment with um catherine zeta jones and that was like what what man are you telling me that a 68 year old can get can bag like a 30 year old that's like the first eye-opening experience I had to like um, an older man dating a younger woman. Obviously, I knew about Hugh Hefner and all his like girlfriends and wives and all that stuff. But he was like, he was literally a playboy. <laughs> and Sean Connery was, you know, I think I seen Entrapment before I seen like every Bond movie, you know. And I was like, whoa, like Catherine Zeta-Jones, she's so hot. And Sean Connery's so old, but... He's like, I can see why she's so attracted to him. That's so weird, but he's so like awesome. You know, I'll just hang on a second. I'll just sit in the coffee. But um, I'd like to do a Sean Connery impersonation, but I just don't want to sully his memory. I've got this weird thing of where I don't like to portray people that I really, really respect. <laughs> um, I don't like seeing them portrayed in a certain way um especially i don't like to see them other than like how i see them how i view them and i don't like people to change the views of them and i wouldn't want to change anyone's view of sean connery if i said some questionable things in his accent so um yeah so look rest in power sean connery um uh, there'll never be an, another actor like that no way i mean to like to have so much swagger and like spring in his step, you know, for like an old for for a geezer, for an old geezer, you know what I mean? For oh, he's Scottish actually, so he'd be. Uh, I can't do Scottish actually. I can do Irish and like most of England, but I can't do can't do Scottish. That'd be better Scottish as I get. Got a land, a land fell, eleven. 11. That would be about as Scottish as I can do. 11. That's the only... I was saying uh, a while ago, so you just got to pick one word and then make everything sound like that word. 11 is like the Scottish word that I can nail. And haggis. 11 and haggis. Um, um. You don't know, you don't know like what, what it's like to be from, from Edinburgh, Scotland. I guess Scotland. No, it's pretty bad. I'm sorry, guys. I'm just going to stop. Um, rest in power, Sean Connery. Um, that's about it for me. I'm going to go pick up my son. But um, look, hope you enjoyed me ranting and raving about Nick Cage. That was pretty cool, hey? And then talking about um, James Bond and stuff. So, yeah. Hey, look. Hey, look. This was like a film one. And, you know, I told you about how I broke my foot. That was cool. I don't know why I'm recapping, you know. It's like, anyway, goodbye. I'll see you later. So, I did it again. Did an outro. Did an outro. It's becoming a thing now. I think this will be my outro. I'll finish the episode. And then I'll just come back later and do the outro um look i could edit it and like make it work but this is just a little bit more enjoyable for me so hey look you got any questions you want me to field some questions you want to talk about stuff then look you can find me at my mind podcast at gmail.com and you can send me an email and i'll reply because look there's not many people emailing me these days you know i'll i'll, I'll reply I'll um I'll shout you out to all the you know the other 
three people that listen to this so you know there's that you can get recognized by another three people and you know hey three people's better than one right anyway that's it outro